The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. My name is Shelley Graff. I'm the associate director here and um, usually lead one of the Wednesday night programs a month and do some other things too. Sometimes teach on Sunday morning or fill in for Mark when he's unavailable to teach and in addition to some other administrative duties. It's good to be with you tonight. It's just interesting tuning. I taught Sunday morning and the energy in the room was just really high. <laughs> A lot of it. And tonight it feels just kind of subdued. Yeah. Just interesting how we all have you know, an impact on each other. It's nice to tune into things like that, even in simple ways like noticing difference in energy. Just reminding us that this path we're on is really relational. It's necessarily relational, and thank goodness for that. So I'd like to start off a little bit different and just rove the mic around and hear what's percolating for you. Maybe how that meditation was, any questions you might have, or just what's moving in your heart. And say your name for us too, if you would. Hi, I'm Kate. Can you hear me? Great. Um, I wanted to comment on the fact that you use the idea of breath and weight together. Because typically, when I think about breath, it's very airy and spacious and open. But when it's combined with your body in relation with your body, there's a lot of weight movement. And for me, that just rang really interestingly tonight I think specifically because you started to talk about your body as a space of rooting down and feeling kind of grounded in Um, so for me something that's just interesting to be thinking about tonight is how your breath does just that it shifts weight around um, whether it's mental or physical weight physically you feel your body kind of moving or it's the mental or subtle kind of emotional weight and that's something that I picked up on and wanted to comment on so thank you yeah thanks yeah it can be sometimes I think the common way to to be with the breath is just to feel the airy quality flowing in and out but there's so much more happening in the body with its while the body's breathing right so it's just kind of good to feel all of what happens or as much as we can just tune into what happens in the body and not get kind of fixed into one way of doing things right just like there's not one way of doing things at common ground we can do some talking before I we could co-create something together it doesn't have to be just Shelly saying something to you but maybe we'll do something a little dance together tonight and often in the for me just that feeling of groundedness is something that is really useful not just at the beginning of a sit but but all the time like where can I find groundedness when it feels like things are really challenging or difficult in my life and how to how to how to really not be confused by the um, by the objects or our experiences and and take refuge in in those Right? But to really kind of find that, quality, that, that attitude of mind that can rest in the experience of the body itself. Like, can there be an ease to just noticing groundedness in the body? Yeah, that's right behind you. So, my name is Jenny. And um, I really, really uh, was excited to add on to that that um, one of the things I've been struggling for months with a particular area of my back that's really quite um, tight when I'm sitting. And um, tonight I discovered that if I lift my heart, it wasn't as present. Mm -hmm. And there's a piece that I've learned about when I lift my heart, it lifts my whole mood. So when you were just talking about feeling grounded in your body, one of the, I don't know that I feel that it's specifically grounding, 
but it pulls me back into a place of being able to just be um, okay. And it's a physiological thing about our bodies that if we lift, it lifts us. So, Thank you for sharing that. Oh, and did I say that the pain went away? (laughs) (laughs) What else? What else is in the room? There's a right back there. Yeah, so recently in my sits, I've sometimes found that there there's just this kind of overwhelming discomfort in just sitting with whatever is present. And um, I guess as a function of time, I've began to actually almost um, found refuge a little bit in the discomfort, kind of being with it in a way that it almost moves you know like being curious and feeling the feeling of of discomfort in whatever form it is not in a trying to like develop mental idea about why that is or listening to a story about it but uh actually feeling it has its own kind of refuge and it's actually outside of my practice really helped me in a lot of ways too because it kind of prevents certain um, mental habits or patterns from starting off because um, there's just kind of that element of knowing what that discomfort is. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Where do you feel the discomfort? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in my chest, like heart region. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's easy to locate. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved it that you pointed out the difference between the physical, right? That it's in the it's in the body, right? But there's a difference between what's felt in the body or the pain that you're calling it, and the awareness of it, right? Yeah. That's not getting confused by the object, right? The object and the awareness of the object, because in the awareness of it, there's some, there can be some ease. So that's that's. That's what we're doing, right? If there's some difficulty noticing it, there could be some ease or even pleasantness in the noticing itself, even with great difficulty. There's a, um, a friend, uh, a woman who has been a friend of IMS, Insight Meditation Society, for a long time. She was in her 90s. I didn't know her or meet her. But when I was there recently, some of the teachers were talking about her. She was dying of cancer, I believe. And... Uh, one of my teachers went to see her and came back and reported that she was like vibrant and beautiful, just like full of life, even though she was dying. And she said something like with a big smile on her face, like, my practice has never been so strong. I've never been happier. Right? As the body's like completely falling apart. So like how did, you know, just getting really curious about how does that happen? Yeah, I've, I found it to be pretty reliable, and uh, I was just up at um, Arrow River Forest Hermitage doing a week-long independent meditation retreat, and I got to meet with the the monk um, Ajahn Puchijamo. Punadamo. Punadamo, while I was out there, and I was like really expecting, there's this opportunity in the morning to meet with him, and then you're kind of on your own, and I was expecting him to like have some like really profound <laughs> teachings and but his his main message was just kind of resting in that knowing mind mm-hmm. and that's that's exactly what I found to be really true you know it has it's a refuge yeah yeah that's the dhamma Any other <clears throat> comments or
Yeah, my name is Dave, and uh, I think the, you know, the embodiment that you talk about, like sometimes I can really feel that in a sit and uh, be aware of of mental activity and sensations in the body, and, and and it's you know it seems like they're connected, and most often I'm sitting and it's more of uh, noticing the sensations in my body without, you know, being aware of. of uh, well, just noticing them and not 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 noticing the mental activity. And I'm just curious about that. Uh, it seems when I've noticed that there's a connection between the mental activity and and sensations in my body, particularly mm-hmm. sometimes with fear. A lot of times that seems to be stored in my shoulders and some mm-hmm. other things in other parts of my body. But then there's long longer periods of time where uh, that's I'm not aware of that, mm-hmm. and it's just. It's. I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I just wonder. You know, I just uh, well, what's that about, or, or where? You know, where's this energy coming from? And it's yeah. like I, I don't know most of the time, and it's just curious. So, situation. where's the mental energy coming from? Well, well, the, no. The when the mental energy is not there, the, the physical activity, the the, the energy, and the t- sometimes tension and tightness and 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 pain. At times, it'll be uh, it'll be moving around, but it's it's like I don't seem to you know, notice the mental activity with it. So it's just kind of, maybe that's just stored up stuff. I mean, we're, we're really cultivating a habit of awareness. So we're using, the body itself isn't a refuge. It's a tool, right, to cultivate awareness, to cultivate the mind, the knowing mind, the wise, knowing, compassionate, loving mind, right? All of the qualities of metta that are infused in this, like, pure knowing of experience so so it's not a you know there's no we don't really need to preference the body is has been really useful to me lately and is um i feel like is all we we need to know to develop wisdom it's all we the only tool we actually need to develop wisdom that's just the way it feels in my practice right now so this kind of sense of embodiment is really um, important but it's not the end of the it's not the end of the game, right? It's not the end of the story. It's not the it's not um, awakening. It's not enlightenment. So it's just a tool. So as long as awareness is noticed, is awareness is there, right? There's a knowing of something. Whatever that experience is, that awareness is knowing is okay. We don't need to preference the subtle over the gross, or the body over the mind, right? Over the thoughts that are happening in the mind or emotions or whatever. But as we continue to practice, we'll notice that those um, experiences are all connected anyway, right? And it just might be that we're not noticing that connection at any moment, and that's okay. But the question is, is there noticing? And if there's noticing, you're still on the path, and that's fine. So I wouldn't worry about it too much, but just get really curious about it, like, oh, this is interesting, that sometimes there's awareness of the body and you know it doesn't feel that connected to the activity or the mind. Or sometimes there's just um, noticing of the activity of the mind, thoughts going through the other, what seem to be disconnected from the body, like sometimes sounds seem to be disconnected from the body. And it takes some practice to understand the, that connection, right? It takes some just practice over time. Right. It's more of a curiosity, and it just seems that my body is much more reliable than my mind as far as what uh, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mind can make up a lot of stuff, but I don't think my body can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So my name is Rob. And Shelly, what you mentioned about the teacher at IMS who's dying and yet her practice is very strong sparked something in me. And it's, I have noticed over the last few years that when crises show up in my life, that's when my practice really shines forth. The habits that I've been cultivating, um, they just kind of seem to be instinct, instinctual now. They seem to be like, um, like they just happen, you know. 
and it, it's really a great relief. It's a great joy to like have like like I had an emergency happen on Monday. Um, I'm going to work just right over on the greenway over there, and my front wheel starts to go up from under me. And, you know, the adrenaline rush happened, and the fear showed up. After I recovered, it was like, okay, I'm still upright. Everything's okay. Thank you, body. Thank you for the adrenaline rush. You're no longer needed. Let's keep going. And within a block or two, you know, that was all in the past. Mm. And... There was it wasn't that long ago that on on uh something like that I could have like fed that for like a fair amount of time, you know, mm-hmm. and instead just it was, and then it was in the past, yeah anyways, thank you so what inspired that letting go? I think it's like all of the stuff I hear you folks say yeah. and then try to practice yeah. because it really works. I have noticed that when I'm in the present is when there's just like a, there just isn't that, that weight, that baggage of like all like that crap in my life. You know, it's just yeah. not there. Yeah. Right. There's this uh, habit of awareness that's there and, what actually caused the letting go wasn't Rob, right? It wasn't Rob willing it. It wasn't Rob willing the, the thoughts to stop proliferating or the adrenaline to work its way out of the body. It just happened, right? Yeah, mostly just happened. Most- and, you know, it's cultivated habit. Exactly, right? So habit over time. And this is the teaching on the five spiritual faculties that I just that seems so practical all the time. It begins with a little bit of faith or confidence that, there's something beneficial about this work that we're doing, this work of cultivating awareness. And then this, the effort that is naturally applied to practice, like, oh, like I want to be awake, so I'm going to try to be awake right now, or I'm going to be awake in my life, leads to a moment of being awake. So then there's a moment of mindfulness, like, oh, the mind is aware of something, Right? And that aware of something leads to the next moment of mindfulness because there's this momentum that's created. And the mind that wants to be awake wants to be awake again. So there's, that's why you need less and less sleep sometimes when you go on retreat because the mind just wants to notice stuff and it doesn't want to go to sleep, right? So this continuity of awareness is what we might call concentration. So continuity of awareness. And when, there's more, when awareness is more and more continuous then wisdom naturally follows. So that's wisdom that actually let go of like, oh, knew that this is in the past. It's not going to benefit me now, right? So wisdom is naturally arising from all of those moments of practice, right? And that's beautiful. That's what we want for our lives, isn't it? So when we come to some stressful event or some great difficulty, that our practice will actually be of benefit to us. But it, it will be harder if we start to practice in a moment of crisis, Right? It would have been harder if that were the first time the heart, mind wanted to show up for your life while you're on the bike. It might have been, like you said before, you know, that might have lasted for days. Right? But because there's this cultivation, you've been at this a long time. There's this cultivation of awareness again and again and again, and especially in mundane moments, especially in moments when things aren't that charged in our life that the, this, everything begins to work together. The body responds to, the body knows what to do. Like, oh, adrenaline comes, adrenaline glo- goes. Right? There's no, the mind or the heart isn't like clinging to the experience of fear so that the body has to stay with it. Right? The body's going to vibrate with that fear. It's there, whatever's happening. So the adrenaline is going to learn how to have a habit too. It's going to grow and stay longer than it needs to. If awareness isn't like going, oh, yeah, that's not needed, like wisdom, right? Awareness and then wisdom kind of checks like, oh, it's not needed anymore, sweetie. There's no reason to stay here. But that's only because there's been all these moments of moments of cultivating awareness over time. Even if there are moments when we check out, that's okay. That's going to happen, right? You've noticed that in the sit probably when 
you're with the body, then all of a sudden you're not with the body, and you realize that you weren't with the body, and you don't know how long you weren't with the body, right? And that's okay because that next moment of mindfulness is still cultivating the habit of awareness again and again. I'm using those words interchangeably. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Anything else that needs to be spoken into the room? I've been exploring this. I've been living into what it means to be connected recently. And it seems to come up in every every um, talk I give at Common Ground. And it was, I was preparing for what I might say tonight and thinking like, oh, connection. I've been talking about that for a long, for a couple months now. But it seems that you know, with every new iteration, there's just more to say or different things to say. And it's because this kind of um, idea or lived experience of connection or intimacy with the body, with each other, is just really alive and changing all the time too. Right? My um, understanding of what it means to be connected or disconnected is changing all the time too. I came in today and you might have noticed that I bowed at the altar. I do that sometimes and it's not something that we've practiced at Common Ground a lot, like devotional practices at all, but the formalities of bowing. Um, and primarily I think because wanting this to be a place that feels really welcoming. And it's hard to be new in a place and not know the rules. And then you come in and you see people like teacher doing this weird bowing thing and like what does that mean and should I do that or other people doing it, you're supposed to not do it because nobody else is doing it, right? It's just a lot to kind of consider when you're new to practice or new to common ground. But it has really been an important thing, especially lately for me, more of a a sense of connection to um, life. And so on the altar, there's a statue of the Buddha, but next to the altar is a statue of Maha Pajapati, who was a fully enlightened being at the time of the Buddha, and the Buddha's aunt, who raised him. So there's like this loving synergy between, you know, masculine and feminine energies, but also wisdom and generosity, the generosity of giving care and compassion to another being that grew up to be, you know, the Buddha, with all the, with all the wisdom there and this kind of fierceness of love, right, that it takes to do that nurturing thing that parents do for children. And often when I bow to the altar, it's just this really deep feeling of connection. Um, not to these, and I'm not really bowing to these people, these historical people, but more to this capacity, like trying to connect with this felt sense in my heart in my body really, right? Like right here, like what does it feel like in my heart to really feel that this is possible for me to wake up in this life, to be awake right now? So just like a little bow, like, oh, yeah, awake to the body right now, like this, right? It just feels like that in deep connection that's right here. And often I'll just like allow other beings to come to mind. I'm not trying to do anything but I'll allow my teachers to come to mind, my mentors, my friends on the path. Some of you are in the room tonight. But sometimes I'll just like not choose people. I'm not looking for the wisest or most important person in my life, but just let the images or thoughts of reflections of these people come in and just welcome their hair, like, oh, this connection. Like it feels like this in the body to be connected, right? It feels like this to be able to be alive in my life and also to not be alone, to be connected with all these wise beings that have walked this path and are willing to show me the way, or have something to teach. 
It's this uh, bringing to mind Sangha, really, one of the three refuges. And I think in the West we really prioritize the knowing, the Buddha, the refuge in the knowing, right? And the refuge in the Dhamma, the way it is, like the knowing the way it is. But we forget or we don't, we haven't really prioritized this refuge in each other, like this necessity of being able to show each other the way, to claim each other on the path. And I notice this in really simple ways in my life that it's not easy to give a talk, for example. This is like not a natural thing for this personality to be talking in front of people. It's not specific to Dharma. It's just personality habits that have been around for a long time, all my life. Um, and so kind of feeling this, often like tapping into this feeling of anxiety that is known in the body, often in the chest and the arms, and um, a lot of vibration in the hands and the fingertips. Uh, it's like an energy that's pulsing through the body. And this kind of closing off from you. So sometimes like noticing that like right at the beginning of a talk that I give, that kind of energy that's there, and not demonizing it because it's been protective, right? It's confused protection now. It's not needed anymore. It, now it's just a habit. But there's something about that noticing that uh, and that connecting with my deeper intentions to want to connect with you, to realize that we're on this path together, right? That I can claim you and you can claim me as part of this journey of awakening. That sort of allows that to dissipate a little. told a story a few weeks ago about being with the training cohort um, in this teacher training through IMS, and there's 20 of us from around the world, really, many people from the United States, but also um, Canada is represented, and my Dharma sister Nolita from South Africa there, too. And we had this wonderful time together, beautiful time in conversation about the Dhamma, practicing together. And one of the things we did was visit San Quentin, the prison in California. And I mentioned this before, but I realized like when I mentioned it, I was just sort of bringing in the community that was there, the community that I sat with as a way of um, relating to Sangha, like wider Sangha, like really the act of not throwing anybody out of our hearts being connected to the world of practitioners, the world of people who are trying to wake up. But what feels like has been really important about that time that we spent with the men in San Quentin was this, so we were there for, um, to visit a program. There's a mindfulness program. It's a 52-week course, and um, they about 30 men, and they gather together for about two and a half hours each week for 52 weeks, a long time. And they develop this community around cultivating awareness so that it specifically decreases aggression, um, aggressive behavior, and anger, right? And so they're doing all of the work of awakening, all of the work, by honoring all of their emotional... Um, emotional experiences as well as the physical experiences. They're honoring the past as well as the present. They're really um, learning how to take full responsibility for their actions and cultivate a new now for themselves. And honestly, it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had in community. I can say that fully without hesitation. And I've done a lot of things in community, been a part, am a part of a lot of communities. And professionally, I've been practicing um, in restored, with restorative justice work for more than 15 years, sat in circle with people who have done tremendous healing work. It's been a great honor in my life. 
And I found myself in this group of men who were just, they knew the necessity of claiming each other. Like in, in a way that I've never experienced. It was such a vulnerable, like we were there with them, 30 of them, and it was, I'm sure not as if we weren't there to them, but it felt like that to me, that there weren't outsiders in their room. They were willing to be as vulnerable with each other. And it seemed like the, the part that I was curious about is, like what happens, what happens to our spiritual urgency you know, when things get really tough, when we have to rely on it, when our spiritual awakening is the thing that matters the most? What happens to our sense of ardency or um, urgency or resolve? Like what happens to kind of create that energy that makes you, we, us want to show up, right? It's that suffering that has already been announced in the room, like the body pain, right? The body pain that calls the attention. It's like, ah, oh, now I'm awake, right? And it, was, it seemed like I was really curious about what happened for the men. There was a beautiful moment when, you know, it was like they really knew that this is the work that they had to do, that they weren't confused about that. Together, they had 30 men that had served more than 900 years already, right? They were all serving out a life sentence in prison. So the stakes are really high, right? We're going to do this work of healing together. And it wasn't, you know, a group of, a group of men. They weren't throwing each other out of their hearts. They weren't ostracizing each other, but they were really leaning in and claiming each other. There was a moment when one of the men, um, it was his turn to share his story, talk about what landed him in prison and what he learned from that. And so he'd been working on this for weeks. Several weeks prior, he had shared his story, had written it out, done the work of writing it out, and shared his story. And then he was working with some mentors in the room, other inmates, who were helping him revise that and consider different things, right? And so this was his second opportunity to retell his story. And one of the men that, one of his mentors, kind of looked at him right at the beginning and said, um, I'm gonna, we've been working on this for a while, and I'm going to push you. And then he stopped and he said, he looked right at me, he's like, I love you. You know I love you. And the guy was like, yeah. And he motioned to like, bring it on, right? So that kind of like, I'm responsible, for, I'm going to be responsible for your awakening. I'm going to show up for you to do the hard work because it matters, right? Like, are there any places in our life where we just say no to that? Like, do we throw people out of our heart because we feel like we don't need you? Or I don't need you, I don't need this. I can rest in my privilege. I can stay landed in this um, soft cotton ball of privilege that I have and not really do the hard work of connecting and claiming each other, claiming you, for example, and allowing you to claim me allowing you to support me in my journey to awakening. And this is what I think the Buddha meant by Sangha. I don't think he meant like a group of elite people that sit in a room once a week at common ground. I don't think that was it at all. I mean, the Buddha was wandering around and teaching, offering, being very generous with his time, where he could have just, he was a fully enlightened being, he could have just enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was blissful. Like, Full awakening, he could have just hung out there by himself. But he didn't do that. He went around talking to ignorant people, <laughs> helping them awaken, right? It's such a beautiful thing. This is what these men were doing for each other, like really claiming that, claiming each other. I went to see, hear Robin D'Angelo speak last night. Some of you might know her. She, she is a, a white woman who has spent decades trying to understand what it means to be a white woman in the world, to be a woke white woman in the world. And she has done a lot of writing and speaking about 
the topic of whiteness, and she wrote a book called White Fragility. I would highly recommend it. It's very good. So she gave a 90-minute talk last night. And as I was sitting there in the room with her, and um, there were small groups, do some individual, like talking in dyads and some small group work. Um, and I was there with a friend, so I was really feeling the vulnerability of speaking my truth to her, my friend, like talking about times when I've relied on uh, white solidarity and the absence of, and really kind of disconnected from doing the hard work of challenging systems that are oppressive or uh, noticing kind of these habits in my mind of wanting to be liked and relying on other things to try to make myself look good and when people of color are in the room, right? Just like, and as Robin was talking and as I was there with my friend and we were doing some dyad work, kind of feeling all of this movement in the body, like, oh, this hurts. It hurts to feel all of this. It hurts, hurts to feel all of this. But with this, like, really clear intention that this is the path of awakening, like doing this work, not resting in the privileges of my life, and being able to connect with all human beings is the work of is the work that the Buddha pointed to. Is the work that he expected us to do. It's not separate from the work of understanding or getting close to the breath or the work that we might do in seclusion, on the cushion, on retreat the work of being with our own body, this relational practice, feeling what it's like to be alive in the conditions of our world, right? And in this case, for me, as a white person who has grown up and the history of this country, and there's no way out of that for any of us. So just being willing to sort of take it in and feel the unpleasantness in the body for the benefit of my own heart and my own awakening, but also for the benefit of all the people in my life and for the benefit of all the people that will come after me, after I'm dead. Like this sort of potential that we have to leave behind a beautiful legacy, a beautiful legacy of um, honest, sincere practice with our lives as they are, whatever they are, right? Whatever they're made of, like full engagement in our lives. And it really takes that, like realizing that it really takes that um, bit of suffering that's there, like to be able to connect with the difficulties often felt in our bodies. But the, the suffering, it's like sometimes we we come to the practice because we want to find a way out of suffering, and that's a beautiful intention. But the path to finding our way out of suffering is really connecting with the difficulties, the unpleasantness, the fear, the loneliness, the disconnection, the embarrassment, right? the body pain, the aging body, all of the experiences, all of the things that make it hard to be a human being. Like, that's the beginning. It's being able to connect there. That really allows the freedom from suffering. And what does that mean? Like, what is the freedom from suffering about? Well, I think it's about not getting confused between the experience and the awareness of it. Like, the reason why I think that it was possible for a dying person to say, I've never been happier is because she wasn't confused by the experiences of her body and the potential for her mind, for her heart to be free. She wasn't confused by that anymore. And it's easy sometimes for us to get absorbed into the experiences and feel like, oh, like I'm having a terrible day, right? How many times have we said, I'm having a terrible day? Well, I'm having a terrible day because I've forgotten that I've been absorbed in my thoughts and that's created a hell. So I've lost the thread of awareness. I've lost the capacity to actually be aware of my thoughts and work with them because I've been like totally absorbed by it.
been all over the place. Don't really have any rhyme or reason to this tonight. But one of the maybe I'll um, just mention that one of the one of the things I've been noticing in this capacity to meet this aware the to be um, in the awareness instead of absorbed in the experience or the object, being seduced by the difficulty itself, becoming the difficulty, like being the angry person, being the shame, being the um, being the broken body, <laughs> is this uh, feeling of safety in the awareness. So it can be it can be hard to find safety, right? And for many of us who have had some kind of traumatic experiences, and that's a lot of people, um, or who live in uh, great difficulty and experience a lot of challenge on a day-to-day basis, it can feel hard to feel safe, right? The body doesn't often feel safe, even. Because as soon as a memory comes into the mind, a thought comes into the mind, it might trigger an emotional experience like anger that's felt in the body, and now the body feels unsafe, right? Or fear that the body is vibrating with, and now the body feels unsafe. And then that alone, so there's that, and then there's all of this like uncertainty in the world. You don't know if you drive down the street, what's going to, we, we never know what our lives are going to have in store for us. And that gets more and more complicated as it gets more and more complicated, right? The less privilege that we have, the more uncertainty there is. The more complicated it is, the more threat there is. So it's easy to notice the lack of safety, but how do we find safety? And it really seems that in the knowing of experience, there is safety. So in the body, that is really unpleasant. I've had a lot of body pain over the past six months. So I've really been working with it. And I've noticed that when the mind when gets really absorbed into the pain itself, it's almost unbearable. It's like, oh my God, this back pain, it really sucks. And then the mind starts going with it. Is it going to last forever? What if this doesn't let up today? What am I going to do tonight? What if it doesn't change tomorrow? And I'm only 44. What does that mean when I'm 54? Am I going to make it to 54? You know, like, this is just, so it's like down this fast-moving path of dukkha. We're just like, the mind is just absorbed in it. I'm becoming the difficulty. But in moments when the mind is able to meet the difficulty, to notice the body, the sensations in the body, the pain, it also notices that, sensations are different than pain. It notices that sensations change sometimes. It knows, it knows how to, it feels the compelling nature of the suffering and wants some relief from it. So it, like there's a lot of urgency. Like I've got to work with this. I've got, to, I've got to surrender to the nature of the aging body. And I've got to learn how to um, use skillful means when skillful means are necessary. I've got to learn how to move out of the pain, right? And then allow back in. So there's just a lot of working with it. And in the working with it, in the awareness of it, there's this feeling of like, this is workable. Like there is some capacity to feel safe in the working with it, right? In the process of working with it, in the awareness itself. It's in the awareness itself rather than in taking refuge in the the body even in the difficulty, being absorbed in the difficulty, feeling like we have to become that difficulty or we can't get out of that difficulty. That's the clinging or the self-becoming that thing that's difficult. But when there's an ability to be with, it's like, oh, there's a lot of faith there. Like, oh, I think I can do this, right? And we we can notice this and really... You know, in, in the more mundane moments, m- more easily often than in the more charged moments, 
the moments that feel like it's a crisis or an emergency. So we've got to learn to practice all the time, cultivate awareness, and feel the difference between the experience and the awareness of the experience. Notice that as often as we can. Like, oh, this is the difference. Oh, right? And you might have noticed that when you're lost in thought in a sit, and then you realize you're lost in thought, the world seems brand new. Like, oh, wait, yeah. I'm alive. I had uh, people here. I got a body, right? Uh, the mind just came back online. Awareness was just, awareness is there now. A minute ago, it wasn't. And there was an absorption in some story, right? There could be an absorption in any kind of difficulty like that. So that's a really good practice to take up, just noticing, like, oh, when there's awareness of an experience or when the mind, when the heart, when this constitution is absorbed in the experience itself. And as I've been able to practice that more and more, there's just this like increasing, growing feeling of safety and awareness. Safety in Buddha that knows Dhamma, right? Safety in the knowing that this is the way it is. It's the knowing that this is the way it is, right? That's where there's safety. Because things are always going to shift. So if we take refuge in the experience itself, it's just a hopeless adventure. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't appreciate like pleasant experiences, for example, when they come our way. But if we really become those, if we have to have them, if our life depends on it, right? Or if it, de- then it's just not going to work out for us because they're always going to end. It's always going to change. Vinny Ferraro is a teacher in California. We're Facebook friends. I'm hardly ever on Facebook, but I noticed a a post (laughs) that he put up a day or two ago. There's this meme. It said, did you really have a bad day, or did you have 10 to 20 minutes where you let your thoughts run undisciplined, which led you to a bad vibe that you let carry you away? Come on, bro. You run this shit. Pay attention. <laughs> I love that, right? <laughs> right? That's the feeling of like, ah, oh, when there's that feeling of safety for me. It's like that safety and the awareness. It's like a lot of confidence there. I got this. And the more often, like we cultivate that sense of um, that capacity to be with, that confidence just grows. And then this is one of my favorite. Um, poems. This is a much more serious nature than that. It's really beautiful. But then it just really speaks to the nature of awareness itself for me. It's a spontaneous Vajra song by a Tibetan Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself There is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the body-mind has no real importance at all, has little reality whatsoever. Why identify with and become attached to it, passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves without changing or manipulating anything. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically. Again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like today's ephemeral weather like rainbows in the sky, wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of of grasping, infinite space is there, open, 
inviting, and comfortable. Make use of this spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Everything happens by itself. Beautiful. Thank you for your listening. There's time maybe for one question if anybody has something to say. One or two comments, reflections. Robert. Uh, Robert, I spent the greater part of today with a really, really good friend trying to convince her of the reality of my life at this point. And um, I was driving all the time. And I guess the point I really would like to make, besides spending time with my friend and having a really good dialogue back and forth, is the being present while driving. Um, I It was... Obviously, really bad weather in the last couple of days, but I've been able to maneuver through it. Um, and um, I think there's, I think I noticed something today, the realization that if you're doing something in a, I'll say, uh, a more or less correct kind of way or an attentive way, you do influence, you influence all those around you. Um, and I was very aware that Drivers were paying attention to how I drove. I don't have the best car with the best brakes or the best tires, but I know how to drive. And I can notice when people are paying attention to how I'm driving or the motivation I have for making a certain move. And uh, it's a way, I, the point I'm trying to make is it's a way that um, something you referred to earlier, how we in Sangha, in a way, influence those around us. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. And I love the, you know, practicing in these simple ways, driving and noticing the impact that drivers have on each other. Yeah, it's a kind of simple, everyday experience that <clears throat> cultivate awareness in that moment, then it makes it a little bit more possible in the more difficult moments. The moments where we're realizing that we're connected and impact each, impacting each other, and we still need to challenge each other, right? Because our awakening, we're awakening together, not individually. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.